This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Last week, uh, you know that we had a provincial budget last week. And in that budget, you know that Kathleen Wynne and the Liberal government announced that if re-elected, 822 additional million dollars will be poured into this province's hospitals. Why? Well, the answer is, I think, pretty obvious because the hospitals need extra money because they're, well, why do they need the money? Because to counter long wait times, to catch up on stuff, overcrowding, there are issues that face our hospitals. There are issues that face our medical system. And why do those issues exist? Because you would like to think that we solve these things, but why do those issues still exist? Well, my guest this morning, or this evening, this morning, boy, what a day. My first guest this evening has some thoughts on what has been going on and why we are facing a need to pour tens of hundreds of millions of dollars into our hospital system. Dr. Kulvinder Gill is the president of Concerned Doctors of Ontario. It's an advocacy group representing Ontario's 20,000 doctors. She joins me now. Doctor, thanks for doing this this evening. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, let's go right to the top because we're talking about a massive amount of money, it seems like anyway, to, to when we're talking about $822 million. Why do we need all this money poured into the system now? Um, I would actually disagree in, in, in terms of it being a massive amount of money. Um, uh, and uh, I actually wrote a column about this uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, and um, when you look at the percentage uh, um, of the increase, it comes out to um, just roughly around 4.5%. And according to our fiscal watchdog, um, the annual increase is just to keep up with uh, status quo uh, in terms of increased demands with an aging growing population and then also um, a increases due to actual inflation itself uh, according to the fiscal um, watchdog that should be um, usually on average about five and a half to about seven percent year upon year so when you're looking at the fact that wind government has done deep uh, cuts to the health care system for nearly a decade now and has um, cut and chronically underfunded um, all of our hospitals for almost a decade. When you're looking at this number uh, in that context, this is uh, just a Band-Aid solution. Okay. And, and, wanna... and, and, and one thing I would also like sure. to add is that none of that uh, amount was actually earmarked for the front lines, um, actually for the doctors and nurses providing the care in the hospitals. So um, a lot of that budget will actually just go to ba- uh, basic maintenance costs. And, and, and with the hydro rates going so high, some of the hospitals have actually seen hundreds of thousands of dollars of increases year upon year uh, or just for their hydro bills. A lot of those will go to the CEOs and, and then the actual executive salaries, which are into the millions. So um, uh, even though it seems like a number uh, that's that's or that's sounds like a large amount, uh, very little will actually make it to the front line. Okay, and, and fair enough. When I say a huge amount, I think $822 million by any estimation is a large amount of money. Percentage-wise, it would, as you say, be not that much in the grand scheme of the budget of Ontario. But it's a lot of money to the average person hears that much. But you talk about cuts, and this is interesting because I don't know that a lot of people think about the fact that there have been cuts to our hospitals. Where have these, from your perspective, where have these cuts come? Because they're not advertised. We never hear a government say, hey, look, we're cutting stuff to hospitals. Where have these happened? Um, so every year, um, the hospitals get allocated uh, an X amount uh, um, during the tabling of the Ontario budget. And, and, and every year, an X amount also gets 
uh, um, uh, sort of allocated uh, to the budget uh, for the frontline healthcare providers, uh, the doctors, nurses, etc. And and what Wind government has been doing is that, um, despite promising in in the 2014 election platform to actually uh, increase funding by 20 million to family doctors and actually invest and expand hospitals for the next 10 years, that was those were exact words from their 2014 platform. Within six months of being elected, not only were those promises not fulfilled, this government did the complete opposite. They started getting primary care. They, they cut 50 medical residency positions for family meds. They, oh, they um, severely restricted the ability of um, family doctors to actually enter the family health teams. They've cut $4 billion from the frontline patient care that Ontario's doctors provide since January 2015. And, and as I said, um, uh, all the hospitals have been cash-strapped in that they have had a deep cuts um, where the amount of funding that's going isn't uh, oftentimes even meeting inflation costs. So when it's not even meeting inflation costs, that's actually a cut. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Chatting with Dr. Colwinder Gill, who is the president of Concerned Doctors of Ontario, which is an advocacy group representing Ontario's 20,000 doctors, talking about the money that the Liberals in Ontario, the Kathleen Wynne, has promised in her budget to go to hospitals, but how this is not going to, it's not enough. It's not going to cover the things that need to be done. Uh, Doctor, how far behind are we? Like when we're talking about $822 million, What's a what's a number that you or that other doctors would say is more in line with what we actually need to get the system to where it should be? Um, I think um, our, our system is in crisis. Um, on the front lines, we see it every day. Um, our, uh, our, our current healthcare crisis is very clear to anyone who's had to um, uh, experience our healthcare system firsthand um, within the last year. Um, it, it has never been this bad, I would say, in, in, in Ontario's history. Um, we, we have a lot of funds within the healthcare system, but the allocation is, is what um, Wynn's government has gotten completely wrong. Most of the taxpayer dollars towards healthcare are actually funding uh, layers and layers and layers of wasteful healthcare bureaucracy, mm. as opposed to going to frontline patient care. And Wynn's government, uh, during their 15 years, has ballooned the healthcare bureaucracy and has plans to balloon it even further if they're elected again. And um, there was a massive um, uh, omnibus bill that was passed uh, by her government with strong opposition from frontline doctors and nurses and patients, and even both of the opposition parties opposed it. And that was Bill 41, which passed in December of 2016. Um, we we had even presented a, a petition to Queen's Park with 25,000 signatures at that time, and everything was ignored. It was a ma- the, the biggest overhaul of our healthcare system without any consultation with the frontline providers. And uh, this uh, that bill uh, actually uh, ballooned our 14 existing um, um, LINs, which are these bureaucratic regional um, um, districts. Uh, uh, which already had their own boards and CEOs and staff into an additional sublin system with 90 new sublins wow. with their own CEO, executive, and staff. There is no price tag on the sublins yet. We don't know how much they have cost, but we did know that the uh, initial CCACs, which were amalgamated in rather than uh, actually making a, a leaner system, cost healthcare system hundreds of millions of dollars every year, and the limbs themselves were initially costing uh, approximately 100 
million every year, and uh, these are people that don't uh, ha- that don't even touch patients. They have no involvement directly with patient care. And presently in our healthcare system, we have more bureaucrats than we have family doctors. But this is, but let me jump in because this is exactly, I think, what people are concerned about. And that is if we pour more money, if we, if we actually do come forward and find more money to put into the healthcare system, I think everybody is on board with the fact, I would think everybody, 100% would say, if we can make the hospitals better, have better infrastructure, be able to have doctors, all the rest, fine, I'm on board with that. Mm-hmm. But I'm really not interested in doing what you just described, which is plumping up the bureaucracy more. But that seems to be the default position. So how do no, we... No, 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 no. I'm not saying to pump it up. No, I know you're not. Our, no, our I know you're not saying that. Our statement is actually to get rid of the... I know. No, no. Sorry, I understand that. I'm saying the default position that seems to always happen. I Sorry, I, I, I'm, I know that's not what you're standing for. Um, but the default position is let's find more money for bureaucrats. That's where it always seems to go. So how do we, though, so fix the reason that that happens, though, is because it's the bureaucrats making the healthcare decisions, uh-huh. and 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 they are never going to cut themselves. They right, always cut from the front lines, and 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 Bill Forty One actually solidified that. And uh, can you believe it that here in Ontario now, because of Bill Forty One, medical provincial medical standards are now determined not by um, doctors and and actual medical experts. They're actually dictated by bureaucrats, people with zero medical experience and zero medical training. So how do we now, fix that? So uh, we put forward um, as, um, a concerned Ontario doctors um, healthcare pledge um, when we did our press conference yesterday at Adam Queens Park, and, and there's five items that we're urging um, uh, patients um, to have all PC, NDP, Green, and Independent MPP candidates and MPPs commit to. We we believe that Wynne's government does not fit to govern, and that uh, and and she's currently still not collaborating with frontline doctors. We're still seeing uh, approximately $100 million in cuts to frontline care month to month, still happening today, which, 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 which makes her commitment to health care extremely uh, hollow. So we're asking uh, patients to firmly uh, vote to protect their health care and vote wins governments out and, and encourage all the other um, uh, parties and, uh, and, and then even the independent entity uh, candidates to commit to five things. We want one for a reduction, significant reduction in, in this healthcare bureaucracy for the management of our healthcare to truly put patients first by creating a lean and efficient management system with the oversight of the Ontario Ombudsman and the, and the Auditor General. Secondly, we want to create a healthcare task force of frontline practicing physicians in, within the community who really have intimate knowledge of, uh, of, of the issues and the problems in our healthcare system and then can provide tangible solutions to actually come up with what, what no government ever does, which is a long-term vision uh, to actually create a sustainable, accessible, quality healthcare system. Three, we want trust and respect between the province and its doctors while ensuring the protection of physicians' free speech so we can continue to advocate for, um, um, uh, for our healthcare Four, we want to address the physician burnout and suicide rate, which uh, hardly makes headlines, but we are in an epidemic uh, crisis mode. Um, uh, um, Over two-thirds of physicians in the province are currently experiencing burnout, which quickly leads down a road of compassion fatigue, depression, and suicide. Presently, um, we have more than twice the rate of suicide amongst doctors compared to the general population. So we have doctors killing themselves 
at a rate of more than twice the cool vendor I, I, I have 10 seconds what's the fifth one because i'm sorry i'd love to get it in but i only have 10 sure. seconds left so my last one is a fully independent forensic review of the ontario medical association which has actually contributed to our crisis um uh, um because of the mandatory uh a $50 million dues that it gets from the government. I hate to cut you off. I've got to go. Thank you so much for the time. Really, really appreciate it tonight. No problem. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. You have heard, I'm sure, if you've been listening to the station today, if you've been listening elsewhere around Hamilton, you've heard a lot of discussion about Doug Ford's comments on the LRT. If you're one of the three people who hasn't heard yet, and that's okay, Basically, what happened is last night when Doug Ford was talking to a bunch of Hamiltonians, he said, look, if Hamilton wants the LRT, if I'm elected and Hamilton wants the LRT, fine, LRT is going to go ahead. But if Hamilton decides it doesn't want the LRT, instead of that, it can have the billion or billion three or whatever dollars that are promised for that project to put against any infrastructure project or projects that it feels necessary. It is up to the people of Hamilton to decide how they wish their money to be spent. Well, this has thrown things into a bit of a tizzy because it appeared that the LRT was now, pardon the pun, but on the tracks towards something happening. Now, hmm, hmm, do we want an LRT? Or unlike the liberals who have said LRT or nothing, you don't get your money. Now, what do we want? Now, I don't want to talk tonight about whether or not we should do the LRT. That has been discussed to death. You have your opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. I respect your opinion. You hold on to your opinion. That is totally fine. I'm more curious about how this is going to impact the provincial election. And following that, depending on how that goes, the municipal election that will follow. Brad Clark is the principal of Maple Leaf Strategies. However, prior to that, he was a city councillor and he was an MPP and a cabinet minister in the provincial government, he joins me now. Brad, thanks for doing this tonight. Always my pleasure. I have to believe, and you can agree or you can disagree, and that's why you're here, but I have to believe that when Doug Ford now says a billion dollars or $1.3 billion is yours to do with as you like, Hamilton, this has got to make the LRT bring it right back to the top and turn this into one of the battleground, maybe the battleground issues of the upcoming provincial election. It is a pivotal moment uh, in the pre-writ campaign, and I think, you know, based on the fact that anywhere from 50 to 60, 70 percent of people, depending on which riding they're in in Hamilton, are opposed to LRT, it's going to have an awful lot of people sitting up and taking notice. Because there are, we know there are many people who are in favor of the LRT, but we also know there are many who see it as a downtown train, I mean, in the very most basic terms of what some people refer to it as, and they don't see that there's a reason to spend a billion dollars on that, that the money, if it's going to come to Hamilton, could go to something else. We have other needs in this city. And that, as you just said, I think that is going to be a very interesting discussion point and almost a fulcrum for the seesaw when it comes to different ridings around this area saying, look, do we want a train or do we want to fix some of those other things? Well, Mr. Ford has now tackled the issue that for many people in Hamilton bothered them. And that is the issue that the Liberals um, proposed the LRT many years ago. And when the funding was finally approved, they made it very clear, you either take the money for LRT or you get nothing. You have to start over again. 
and Mr. Ford has turned that topsy-turvy and has indicated that if he's the premier, the council can do what they wish, and he will work with them, uh, which is, uh, for the very first time, uh, the position of uh, one of the official three leaders in the province. There are, and I don't think there's any controversy about what I'm going to say, there are people who uh, are unsure about Doug Ford. There are questions. People remember his brother and his brother, they, you know, they're going to see Doug Ford as being Rob Ford, fair or not. That's how some people are going to perceive him. But is this, for those people in those areas of this city that are not fans of LRT, do you believe this is going to be a strong enough issue that it could overwhelm their questions about Doug Ford and cause them to vote Conservative? I think it could be a ballot question in the provincial election in Hamilton, and most definitely it will be a ballot question in the municipal election. Let's take a quick... Oh, no, wait. We're going to do one more, and then and then we'll go there. Because I am thinking that of all the people, when they heard this news... And again, I may be overstating this thing, but I think of the two people, one who thinks this is the greatest news ever and one who thinks this may be somewhat disastrous, Donna Skelly and Judy Partridge have to be looking at this from very different perspectives. You have two well-known local politicians running against each other in a rural riding that, as I understand it and what most people think, has not been very supportive of LRT. This has to be, I would think, gold for Donna Skelly to hear this, and this has to be kind of sour for Judy Partridge, I would think. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Donna Scully has been advocating this very uh, position uh, from the very beginning. Um, and Judy Partridge, uh, it, it, she's in an awkward spot because she is opposed to LRT on a personal level, but she's now running for a party that is saying you either put the LRT in or you don't get the billion dollars. So it really will uh, highlight that debate in the flamborough Glanbrook riding. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Well, I don't want to, I want to call it a can of worms, but the LRT discussion that Doug Ford has probably reopened and how it's going to affect the political landscape around here in the Hamilton area. And if Doug Ford does win a majority, especially a majority in the provincial election, Brad, this is inevitably going to have a trickle-down effect into municipal politics when the municipal election rolls around in the fall, isn't it? Absolutely. He, uh, Mr. Ford has actually changed um, the entire tenor of the debate. Uh, councillors in the last election, many of them ran opposed to LRT, but once they got re-elected to council, they learned that it was a billion dollars or nothing, and they couldn't reconcile themselves to the fact that if they voted against LRT, they were turning down free $1 billion. Now Mr. Ford is telling them, no, 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 it doesn't work that way with me. If you want LRT, great, but if you want to use it for BRT, if you want to use it for your your buses in general, uh, infrastructure, have at it, I'll work with you on it. That has been an instrumental and fundamental change in policy for any of the three leaders, and and, uh, I, I really believe that you're going to find a number of councillors changing their position and running opposed to LRT if Mr. Ford becomes Premier. Because, as you say, previously, if you were to vote against this, you're essentially telling the city, we, we don't want a billion dollars. And now you can have it and do something that would actually, perhaps, for them, from their perspective, benefit their direct constituents. That, just, that's, he, a, that's a tantalizing thing for them. Absolutely. I mean, he has given them a get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm. Here you go. 
Um, you have a billion dollars, $1.3 billion, uh, and uh, if you don't want LRT, by all means, proceed with something else. Tell me what you want, and um, he's promised to, to fulfill it. That is, is a completely different tenor for this leader to take with this council. In the past, the premier and the ministers have been more uh, draconian, more this is our program, you're going to take it or you're going to leave it, uh, but you don't get to keep the money. He's now saying, I respect council's opinion. If council wants to do something else, I will work directly with council to make that happen. And considering we've heard innumerable times about the fact that this city has a $3 billion infrastructure deficit, again, for a number of these councillors, I would think that the chance to carve into that and say, look, here's a billion dollars that can fix an awful lot of sewers and an awful lot of bridges and an awful lot of whatever else, that's going to be really alluring. Well, the transit system itself, they're looking for $137 million just to to shore up their third of the partnership with the feds and the province to improve the transit system for the 10-year the blast network. Uh, so that would be the first thing that some of the councillors would be thinking about. But our roads are way behind in terms of repair. And that would be another item that many of the residents are noticing every single day that they mm. drive. The roads are a mess. This will be, as you say, this will be certainly something for councillors, although I think probably for a lot of areas in this city, no matter who gets elected or re-elected, you could probably predict now where those votes would go. Many of these suburban ones will probably vote against it if they get a chance. Most of the urban ones will vote for it. The really interesting one to me, though, Brad, now is going to be the mayor, because he is voted for across the city and the city has said all along it does not want to have a referendum on LRT. But if a credible anti-LRT candidate came forward to run for mayor, a credible candidate, would that essentially not be a referendum on LRT by itself, the mayoral race? Absolutely. If, if someone um, with credibility, with notoriety, chooses to challenge Mayor Eisenberger, and it's a, a very clear yes or no on LRT, um, it is going to be a challenge for the mayor. Um, but realistically, the, it's, it, it has become a referendum just by Doug Ford saying this. That's what I mean. That's what I mean, that if that the LRT is now going to be probably such a big issue that it is going to be Fred Eisenberger as a yes and a credible, if there is a credible candidate as a no, and whoever wins, like if Fred Eisenberger comes out on top, that to me is a referendum saying people want the LRT. Even if Fred wins, that the council could still go against his win and argue no, the majority of people in, in Hamilton are opposed to it. So um, it would be harder to do that, though, right? Because if it was, if this becomes a central point, and he is arguing that I am standing for this, and he wins, that seems to be something that would back him, and vice versa. I, no, I, I would argue, based on history in Hamilton, the councillors have many, many times um, challenged mayors on their positions and have um, gone in another direction. So. With this type of information in their back pocket, they'll feel even more empowered mm. to do so. Got just a few seconds here. If this was to happen, if it was Fred Eisenberger as a yes for the LRT and a credible mayoral candidate or two on the other side, with what you believe about the people in this city, do you like his chances of re-election? Do you think he becomes the favorite or is he running an uphill battle? 
without knowing who's running against him. I say, if there's someone credible. If there's someone, yes, it would be an uphill challenge for him. Very interesting. We'll be talking about this more because this has really uh, rearranged some things, I think. I really believe that what Doug Ford said, if he means it, it really has rearranged some things. Brad Clark, we'll always appreciate the time, sir. Thank you for doing this tonight. My pleasure. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. If you've ever been to take your driving test, you understand what a nerve-wracking thing that can be like. It's been a long time since I had to do my driving test. It's been long enough that I only vaguely remember the process. But I did two years ago, maybe three almost. Now probably two years ago, I took my son for his driving exam. He'd had his beginners. They have different words for them now. It's the D1 or do you know what it is now, Luke or Ben? What's the... um, what are the proper names now? So you start with your G1. That your is G1, like, right. That's your learners. Then right. you have your G2, and then your full G license. All right. We used to just have the learners and then the license, but now you've got all these different steps. Anyway, so he had his G1, and he was going to get his real license so that he could drive by himself, and I sat at the driving, whatever you call it, the, the highway, the, the Ministry of Transport building there, and I was terrified for him. I was so nervous for him. And he's a good driver. He's never had an issue. But I was so nervous for him. I was more nervous for him than I think he probably was for himself, I'm guessing. Anyway, Ben, have you taken your driver's exam? Yep, I'm a fully insured driver. You're a fully insured driver. Okay, well, good to know. Just in case anyone needs a ride home after the show tonight. Do you remember taking your exam? Yeah, actually, I remember it so well, I helped my friends do the whole course beforehand. No, but I'm just talking about the part where you have to sit in the car with the person, and they've got the clipboard in the passenger seat, and they're telling you, turn left here, turn right here, please do a parallel park here, that kind of thing. Do you remember that part? Yeah, and I remember the exact course that they took me through. Yeah, okay. So so it's 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 very strongly visceral burned into your brain. Well, this person in Connecticut, as I get back to it, this is very viscerally burned into their brain as well, because... Well, let me go back to Ben one more time before I tell the story. What was the one thing that I'm guessing your mom or your dad or your friends or whomever said to you, oh, Ben, just don't do this on your test? Fart in the car was what they told me. Okay, well, that was not the answer I was expecting. I was thinking on a broader scale. Um, I told my son, oh, please don't crash. Just don't crash the car. Well, let me go back to Connecticut now. We've got a 46-year-old learner's permit holder who's going for... Now, I'm looking here, and it doesn't say... Nowhere in this story does it say whether it was a him or a her. So I will go with a they, even though that is grammatically incorrect. But 46-year-old permit holder going for the license test... And I'm thinking right off the bat that if you're 46 years old and you're just now going for your test, there could be any number of reasons why that may be. But probably it's because you've either been scared to get it before, nervous about it before, whatever. Well, it appears that that probably was well warranted, Ben, because video footage recorded inside the DMV Waterbury office (laughs) showed this person sit down in his or her vehicle to prepare to drive away for the driver's test with the examiner in the front seat. But 
somehow in the nerves and in the stress of the moment, rather than slipping the car into drive, he or she slipped it into reverse. (laughs) And when the person said, please pull out and turn to your left, well, he or she hit the gas pedal and plowed directly through the front wall of the building of the Department of Motor Vehicles and landed in the lobby with all the other people waiting for their tests. Uh, I... So, I, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's probably a terrifying and traumatizing moment for this person, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, first of all, it's bad that you've destroyed your car, worse that you've destroyed a government building. But can you imagine the absolute humiliation of having to get out of the driver's seat while all these other people are around there? waiting to go for their test, and you're the idiot who just turned the Department of Motor Vehicles building into a drive-thru, and you've got to get out and look them in the eye and, I guess I didn't pass. That That would be one of the most horrific things ever. Although I'm thinking the other people are probably thinking, I am going to pass because after this, relatively speaking, how bad could I possibly do on my test? As long as I don't blast my car through the wall of the building, I'm pretty good. I'm going to be okay. I'm driving out of here today with my license. Anyway, uh, yes, the nobody was injured. Two people inside, well, no one in the car, two people inside the office were treated for minor injuries. Uh, the student driver was issued an infraction for unsafe backing up. <laughs> They've got something on their record before they even have their license. How about that? Don't do that if you're going for your test. Don't do that. Piece of advice, courtesy of the Scott Radley Show, don't drive your car through the wall of the building where the license office is. It will not help you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900 CHML. Let us bring in our good friend Bubba O'Neill today. How are you, sir? I'm good. Are you? Probably better than that KFC sign. I hope so. Um, I hope so. Or better than the taxi cab. Oh, a taxi cab got hit? Oh, it got smushed. Wow. Everybody's okay. Nobody was in the taxi. I think he was parked and he was going to get himself a, well, I guess a bucket, <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> or, maybe, but, or maybe he was going to get one of those waffle double-down sandwiches. Those sound very, very tasty, uh, but probably not worth having your taxi cab smushed in order to receive. No, no. I mean, and actually, I mean, when we had that on our newscast, and the first thing I thought about was, you know that's close proximity to a, you know a, a very popular or populated bus stop, right? I mean, I mean, you just figure out all the so many people that have been right, right in that area, and of course, high traffic zone. What a crazy incident! Well, and we've seen in recent days lots of vegan protesters standing outside stores that serve meat. Probably a good day for them not to have been protesting that particular KFC, because that would have been the height of irony, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. However, let us move along, because I got I got a couple things I want to get to. Just before I get, though, to what I really want to talk to you about, did you happen to see, now today is Masters Week down at Augusta. It's, tomorrow the Masters begins. Tiger Woods is back. The Masters, it's bigger than ever. Everyone's going crazy for it. The day, the Wednesday before the Thursday that it starts, they have the par 3 tournament and it is many of the golfers participate and it's pretty lighthearted and blah blah did you happen to see what happened on the last hole of the par three today yeah i mean we had that item on our on our newscast tonight and i, I kind of ended our my sports cast with that as you know just one of those why don't you share it because people probably don't know 
Well, I mean, I mean, here, here's the thing. First of all, there's a couple of items from that that really touched that, you know, on the 15th anniversary of, you know, of him winning, Mike Weir does really well. I think he finished in the top five. Um, Adam Hadwin, another Canadian, was, it was in the mix for the win. And here you are, the winner is 68-year-old Tom Watson. 68 years old, and he's, you know, dropping birdies all over the place. But the moment, the, 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 the fact that Tom Watson won at 68, the moment was stolen on the very last hole, as you had Gary Player and, of course, uh, Jack Nicholas and, and Watson playing together. And on the last hole, Nicholas was in contention, couldn't win, so he gave the last, the, his last shot to his 15-year-old godson to take a shot who was caddying for him, and he hits an ace. Like, <laughs> he gets a are hole you in kidding one. me? Yeah. And, and, and it was one of those, it wasn't one of those ones that just went plop in the hole. It was one that probably landed a good 12 to 15 feet outside the hole and then just started to roll. Yeah, it was and a the, meanderer. Yeah, and, and the, the crescendo of the crowd <laughs> once it dropped, the reaction from, you know, Mr. Nicholas, the godson, you know, the player, everyone. It just, I mean... And you were there last year. I mean, I can only dream of being there. And to me, at, at the hallowed grounds of, of Augusta, the most, arguably the most beautiful place in sport, to have that happen, I think that's something that we'll be talking about for, for a long, long time. It's one of those great moments. And, and yesterday, it was funny because uh, we've always heard for years that Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson just hate each other. They can't stand each other. And there they are voluntarily joking along. They play a practice round together, which was hilarious because not only did it sort of blow the whole they hate each other thing away, but apparently there was nobody else on the course. The entire every single fan who was on the course was following that twosome. The other guys were playing their practice rounds, and they could have been doing it at their public course back home. There was nobody. The entire gallery was following those two, and I think probably it was a brilliant move by those two because that's what they're going to be facing this weekend. May as well practice once with it. Yeah, and you know, and Phil's Jeff. You know, he's seen as one of those great American golfers, and he's sort of been used to it. Forty-seven years old, you know, he's had a continuation of his career and really a revival with a win earlier this year. But Tiger, this is sort of new to him again. But you know, am I wrong here? I mean, are we seeing a different Tiger Woods? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, in Gracie with the crowd signing all the autographs, and not that he didn't do that before, but when it was golf time, he was locked in. And you couldn't you couldn't penetrate the man, and it looks like he's you know he was dour he was he was stern and dour and looked like if you had stepped in front of him he would have snapped your head off sometimes he was and it wasn't I mean it's not that he's a bad guy per se no. it was just he was there to win he was not there to be fun he was not there to have friends he was not there to do he was there to win and, and now he's talking about you know and he's there and and he's there now too wanting to win like the yep. desire oh, yeah. to win is certainly there you see it with him and i mean his finishes you know in in the in the sort of comeback tour you know suggest to me that he is healthy and is ready to win at some time i don't know if it's going to be you know this weekend at the masters but he's ready to win again and win i think a couple of times uh on tour so to see him and phil and everyone Everyone pulling for those two to be the final pairing on Sunday. That would be. Oh, you know, be, I can't even describe how amazing that could possibly be. You know who's pulling for them more than anyone else? 
the executives at CBS <laughs> because the ratings would be oh, insanity. Absolutely. If that, if they could, even if he's not the last two, if Tiger Woods is within a few shots somehow of the leader on the weekend, CBS may as well just start, you know, filling up the Brinks trucks with money from the ratings. They're going to, I mean, it's just going to be insane. Anyway, let us yeah. move along because the real reason I wanted to have you on today, although I like having you on every week, but the real reason Thank I you. wanted to have you on <laughs> is because you. And now I know it wasn't your initial idea, but you were the guy who grabbed this and you have a platform and you use this platform for something and I applaud you for it. I wrote about it today. This is you though. I want to make sure that no one thinks that I I am I am jumping on board with the Bubba train right now that is rolling because you started something here. There is a school that is being built right across the road from Tim Hortons Field. If you drive by, you can, it's kind of almost where Scott Park used to be, not exactly on the same spot, but that plot of land anyway, where the baseball diamonds were. And the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board recently online asked people to make suggestions for what this school should be called. You take it from there, because I know, again, someone else suggested it, but you grabbed it and ran with it. You explain the name that it should be and why. You know what? You know, I was contacted, and I really do have to say these names. I mean, Bob McDonald, the guy that played for McMaster, the Hamilton Tiger Cats won a great cup with the Calgary Stampeders. Also, a, a guy by the name of Ed Gondar, who was a play that played at McMaster and was coached by by Bernie Custis along with Bob, uh, and that would have been in the early '80s. Um, those were the guys that I, from my knowledge, that were that informed me of this. And you're right. I mean, it did something I actually read about, and I, I don't know. I'm. I'll be honest with you, Scott. I'm not a huge cause guy. I really am not. And you know, but I thought this was something. Bernie Custis, by the way, is the name we're talking about. That, yeah, that they yeah. wanted to have it named after. Yeah, to to have this school or or recreation center. I know there's a recreation center. Whatever. It's right near the the football field. You know, the place where he became the first black quarterback to ever play in professional sports, the guy that remained with the Tiger Cats as a guy that, you know, as, a, as someone that players talk to, a guy that coached Sheridan um, football program to an unbelievable success, uh, revived a McMaster program, and was a teacher and a principal for, I believe, over 30 years, uh, right here in this city. A guy from Philadelphia that that you know what had a dream to play quarterback and it happened here. Uh, I think he's a, an unbelievable community. You know, I guess he's you know he died you know a little over a year ago, but he was a community leader. Every person I have come in contact with, uh, you know, when it comes to Bernie, whether he was coached by them, whether um, he was taught by them. Or, you know, I do actually have a couple of friends who have fathers that played with Bernie and the Tiger Cats. And they, all they say is a classy individual. Um, I think you, put, you, you had this in your article that people, even close to his own age, called him Mr. Custis. That is the kind of, not, not, not the kind of respect that he demanded, the kind of respect that he just sort of earned. People love this guy. And I think to have that school in his honor, because of the many things he has done in this community, and the fact that he loved this community and stayed in this community well after his playing days, married a woman from Burlington, lived in Burlington, to, if, that, if there's one little small payback for all that he did for the city of Hamilton, for blacks in terms of breaking through and playing football and playing quarterback, 
isn't that one little thing we could do for Bernie? Well, look, it, it, here's the thing. I, I wrote this today, and I really believe this. He literally checks every box. That I'm, I've lobbied at times before. I've pushed before for people to be honored. But generally, the reason is for the same reason as this one. It's great to be a great athlete, and, and you have to be very special to be a terrific, world-class, great athlete. But all the people that I've ever lobbied for, and there's not that many, there's been Harry Howell, there's been Russ Jackson, now there's Bernie Custis, they've also done other things to be a, an ambassador for the community. They've done things beyond. Russ Jackson was a high school math teacher, and he was a principal, and he was a coach, and Harry was involved in sports in a variety of different levels as a scout and as a coach, and stayed in Hamilton and was and was fantastic for this city. Bernie's the same thing. He was the player, as you say, pioneer, a trailblazer, first black quarterback in professional football. He was a legendary coach, as you aptly and properly said, he turned the Mac program around. It was in disarray when he took over. And then he was a school teacher, an elementary teacher, an elementary principal. I, I don't know what else. Like he, he, It's not like you're just working to honor a guy just because he was great on the field. Yeah. He was great in so many different areas. And on top of everything else, this is a guy that you can look through his resume. You can go into his closet, his figurative closet, and there aren't skeletons. There's nothing in there that has embarrassed the city over the years. He's never yeah. done anything to bring shame to Hamilton. This is a guy that if you were a Hamiltonian, he's one of those people you say, yeah, that guy, that guy's a Hamilton guy. That's yeah. what we want to bring up. That's what we want to be proud of. You know, and a guy that, you know what, when you say the word Bernie Custis, and again, this is so rare, and I'll, I'll say sports, you know, and maybe even in government or, you know, people have done lots of good things around the world. But to be recognized by multiple upon multiple generations mm. goes to show you the long-lasting effect that he had as a man, as a person, um, upon a community. And, and that, to me, I can't put too many people on that list. Well, and there's and it, it of course fits kind of perfectly with this school because it's right beside Tim Hortons Field. Uh, if there's going to be a school that you were going to name after someone who's been an educator and been an athlete, and they've talked forever about that being the Tim Hortons, the stadium precinct, we want to make this kind of a larger area. That's a perfect name to bridge both of those things and tie them all together. In my mind, that's that's the first thing. But also. We have media from around the country who come here. TSN shows the games on Friday nights or whenever they're on. We have media come from around the country. You put that school there in the shot of the cameras with a, name, with a name visible yeah. from the long shot. So in the background, you see Bernie Custis School. Yeah. Suddenly, you've got people all over the country either looking up who Bernie Custis was or remembering who Bernie Custis was. And we're able to say, yeah, in Hamilton... When a black man could not get an opportunity anywhere else, we gave it to him in Hamilton. That's something we should be really proud of here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and a guy like that that was just so, um, uh, he just loved the situation. He loved the city, and he loved giving back, and he loved doing whatever it took to, to you know, to represent himself, to represent his community. Um, it would be, have been very easy for him to finish his career and go back to Philadelphia or Ohio or, you know, to, to, to his, you know, his family. And the fact that this guy just, for whatever reason, this community struck him um, and made a living and, you know, never had kids. 
you know, but still. Well, that was the, not a joke, that was the line that they always had, that all that he had hundreds of kids, because all the guys <laughs> that he had coached, they all considered him a father figure. Yeah. And and it's it's cliche, and it's sappy, and it's maudlin, and all the rest, but they really did. You talk to these guys, they will say that Bernie Custis was a father figure to me. Well, I mean, the, 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 I think the biggest, the guy I think about, you know, and only because he's been so public about it, is, you know, uh, CFL, I mean, I shouldn't say CFL, but Canadian Football League Hall of Famer, Tony Gabriel. Mm-hmm. Tony Gabriel played with him, uh, was coached by him with the Burlington Braves, got him opportunities, you know, to play elsewhere. Um, they were together for many, many years, and he calls him one of his, you know, biggest role models. And that's a big-time football player. You know, right here in Canada, to give that kind of guy that kind of you know homage to 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 a coach, and um, for those that were there that you know are listening to us right now, uh, the words that Tony Gabriel said at uh, Bernie's funeral, you know, were just unbelievable and brought the man to tears. Here's the thing, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I, I'm going to because I, I'm fearful of what's going to happen. This particular site, this particular school should not be named after a politician, should not be named after some former school board trustee, regardless of how great they may have been or how they contributed to the community. This is a unique site this school is in. Save that for something else that is not right next to the stadium. There are places where you can honor those other people, and I'm fearful that that may end up happening, that someone decides, you know what, this is a great time to name a school after some obscure trustee that nobody really remembers. Not here. This is not the place to do that. You know, I, I, as I said, I put this up on social media, and that's one of the advantages of social media. I mean, we have so many, so many complaints about social media and the things that happen and the things that are said, but here's a, reason, a good reason for it. And I put that out about, you know, about, you know, contacting the, the Hamilton-Wentworth School Board, going to their online webpage and, you know, participating in a poll and suggesting Bernie Custis. And the, the response that I had, I mean, I, I've, I've said controversial things. I've talked about the Tiger Cats, the Maple Leafs, the Arg... I, everything in sports and have got you know i generally get good response and people go on sometimes i'll put something out and people just take it on their own you know and it with within each other with different conversations and that's exactly happened on my facebook page with people just kind of talking to each other amongst each other on on facebook about is this a good idea and i'll be honest with you and it was said in a respectful way only one person i think wrote something that said Bernie would, this is so close for, it was a woman that said that Bernie would be a real close second for her. And the, oh, the name that she brought up was Bob Morrow, which, you know, again, Hamilton mayor for, I mean, I, you, you would probably tell me multiple, oh, multiple, sure, yeah. multiple years, right? Which would also be a great candidate as well, too. But it was, it was overwhelmingly unanimous of people saying, yes, Bubba, I'm going to go to this and I'm going to participate in this poll. Yes, uh, Bernie Custis, what a great, what a great uh, uh, way to honor this man. It, it, was, it, it actually surprised me. I, look, I've got no issue with honoring Bob Morrow. I think there is a perfect example of someone who should be honored in a particular way. But there are schools all over this city... That at some point, or a new school, or something else that 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 could fit. This is a specific location right beside the stadium. And again, let me go back to the image that would be 
broadcast around Canada week after week after week with a big sign in the background, if they were to do it right, where it says Bernie Custis School, that you're going to see that when you're watching a football game and then when that's going across the country. There is a way to do this that actually works for Hamilton as well as to honor the guy. Um, what was what generally you talk about the response? Have you had a lot of response to this? Like I said, it's been I put out stuff about sports. And I've said controversial things as I was saying, and and you know you get the wackiest responses, and you know this ranks right up there. You know that you know in terms of Twitter and. And uh, I'm I, the amount of retweets on Twitter that you know whether I've done this multiple times and Facebook and just like I said the comments. I mean even I've had national sports. I mean I've had uh, you know every most people know Arash Madani of of Sportsnet. He retweeted it and actually added a comment to it. And what a great idea this is. I mean it's it, 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 it's just something that. Um, hey, again I, I have nothing to say with I had my I had my vote right and I, I know what I would like to see. And I hope it's what happens. Um, and let's see, it's in the hands of the Hamilton Wartworth School Board. Um, but like you said, I, I and, and I never really thought about it until you said, about, said, Scott, because, you know, so many times TSN broadcasts these, you know, CFL games and they show this, the skyline of Hamilton and the smokestacks from Stelco. And, well, I shouldn't say it's Stelco any longer, but you know what I'm talking about. Oh. You know, but wouldn't, wouldn't it be great to show the school and have a little conversation or, you know, on, on, you know, here's the school named after a man, Bernie Custis, that everyone in the CFL should know. Absolutely. Well, listen, for, you, you mentioned the, the poll that this thing started by the Hamilton School Board, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, asking people to suggest names. It was an online thing. That poll is now shut down. They've cut off the applications. However, for anyone listening who agrees with Bubba and I and a lot of other people, and you want the school board to know that you support this idea, and I would encourage you to do this. I would ask you to do this. If you support this idea, take five minutes. It would take you less than five minutes, and just send a one- or two-line note. I'm going to give you the web page, and if you've got a pen or a piece of paper and a pencil or whatever it is, make a note of this. Here is the address. It's HWDSB, Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, hwdsb.on, as in Ontario, on, dot C-A, and then backslash about backslash trustees h w d s b dot o n dot c a backslash about backslash trustees all the trustees names phone numbers and email addresses are there including the chairman, you can find those and just send a quick note. Let them know because I'm telling you, it's a great idea. Bubba, you've led with this. It's a, it's, you've led the charge on this. I applaud you for it because you were absolutely right to do this. And I hope people will make a note and will send this along so that when it comes time for them to start talking about this, they know there is a significant amount of support for this, and they're not doing something that only three or four people loudly are talking about, but there is a groundswell for this. So good for you for getting this thing going, and uh, let's, let's hope. Let's hope that this actually happens. I think it would be terrific. Yeah, I, I can only imagine you know, how that family would feel. I mean, the, the, the family, the extended family of, of Bernie Custis, to have that kind of honor and, uh, and, and respect shown by the city and, and, the, and the school board. I think that would be just something special. Bubba O'Neill from CHCH. You can see him tonight at 11 o'clock doing weather and sports. Sir, always appreciate it. Great job on this one. Hey, thanks for having me, bud. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.